Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Merry Christmas. So good to be together with you. Please find your seat. Grab a Bible. We're going to open up the Word of God this morning. What a joy to celebrate with the kids and to hear all their songs and uh, preparation in the scripture readings out of John chapter 1 and, and that theme of just God's light coming into the world. The light of God coming into the world is, is such a beautiful, powerful imagery at Christmas as we light the Advent candles, as we celebrate the light into the darkness. Crucial part of all of our life as, as Christians, celebrating God's light. And the reality is that there's so much in the world that feels dark. Sin and pain and confusion and suffering, that shadow of death feels like it looms over us as we wrestle through the fear of death or grief over the loss of a loved one and and really that slow internal spiritual death that we all experience and yes even at christmas in the midst of the lights and the presence and the songs there is pain and suffering and and some this morning are in the midst of that and if we are not careful at times it feels like the darkness will choke out all hope but the birth of jesus brings light into the darkness brings hope into our despair like a sunrise coming at the end of a long night. Anybody ever been in a long, dark, cold night where it felt like the sun couldn't rise soon enough? There have been a few times where I've been on a camping trip where I didn't bring enough uh, cold weather gear and my sleeping bag wasn't enough and you're just awake all night shivering, cold, dark, and you're like, Lord, will the sun please just rise up, right? And that first little glimmer of light over the horizon just restores your soul. But the anticipation of it Knowing that the sun is going to come gives you hope, right, throughout the night. Like, okay, I'm not going to be like this forever. And the birth of Jesus is like a sunrise. Listen, God has not left you, has not left us in the darkness. The light of life has come. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verses 77 to 79, we'll hear this next week as Zechariah prophesied about his son will prepare the way for the Messiah. He says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so praise God, we no longer need to sit in darkness. You no longer need to live under the shadow of death because Christ has come, the light of the world who guides our feet into the way of peace. So listen, there's hope. Like the sun rising up over the horizon after a long, dark, cold night, Jesus has come. Amen? We've been talking this Advent about the gift of Jesus and all the ways that that Jesus is a gift to us, how He brings us the gift of God's love, that we've been forgiven and loved by our Heavenly Father. We have a new identity, the gift of peace that we heard last week, that, that we now have forgiveness and peace with God that brings peace in our hearts, peace with our Creator, peace in the world around us. And this morning we look at this gift of hope, that we are a people of hope. Next Sunday morning, we'll look at the gift of joy and, and Christmas Eve, the gift of life. So this morning, let's, let's unpack for a moment what it is that, that God, as the, the gift of hope, has, is a light that shines into our lives. And I really want to do that. We're going to look at, at really three uh, definitions, you might say, three, three ways to understand hope in our lives. And we'll look at some scripture in each section. Um, and, and I promise we'll do that relatively quickly, and then you can go have lunch and continue to to celebrate. Um, that's not true. It's it's not going to be relatively quickly. Uh, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to get us out of here by 11:30. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. So first of all, hope. How do we understand hope? Here's what I would say first. 
Hope is a certain assurance that's grounded in the work of Christ. What is hope? It's a certain assurance that's ultimately grounded in the work of Christ. Think for a moment about a difficult time that you have been through or maybe you're going through right now, something that's heavy, something that's hard. In the midst of that, you may struggle to find hope, right? You look at the damaged world around us. You look at the struggles in your own heart, in your own family. Do you, when you go through a hard time, do you find it hard to be hopeful? When the future feels so uncertain and so unstable, and maybe you're struggling with somebody close to you that's dealing with death or disease. Maybe you've been through divorce. Maybe you've seen the ravaging effects of addiction or anxiety or anguish, and you're like, you know what? I don't really have hope anymore. I've seen too much. The world is too dark and hard. I I don't even really want hope because hope just is going to lead to disappointment, right? Because nothing ever works out. And I wish people would stop telling me it's going to be okay because I really don't think it will be, and I don't want to get my hopes up. See, some people question whether or not hope is even a good thing. Maybe we shouldn't even aspire to it. Maybe it's just better to coldly embrace the darkness. And I know that that sounds bleak, but some people just get to the point where that's how they live their lives, right? You remember Red from Shawshank Redemption? Apparently there was a book before there was a movie. But in both places, I believe, in both the book and the movie, Andy and Red are in prison. Andy is talking about music and the beauty of music and how even in prison, music reminds him to have hope. And Red says this, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Now, now look, there's a lot of truth to that. In their situation, if you're in prison serving a lifelong prison sentence, if you wake, wake up every morning thinking to yourself, well, maybe today is the day I'll be released from prison, that literally could make you go insane because that, a, that is a baseless hope, right? There's no reason to think that, that you might get released in a situation like that, and it's only going to lead to more pain and more disappointment. But listen, if your hope is in something solid, then it can actually transform your whole life. What what do we mean as Christians when we talk about hope? Hope can be used in different ways. Sometimes people use the word hope to to mean nothing more than just their desire or their wish. I I really hope I get that new job. What are they saying? Well, I I wish I get the job. Hope can mean really nothing more than a feeling of optimism. Some people say, well, I hope this Christmas is better than last Christmas. Right? They're just trying to be optimistic. But hope can also be an expectation that is grounded in something solid. And so you may find yourself saying, based on everything the doctors have said about my loved one, I really have hope that she will recover. Right? And that that could be a well-grounded hope based upon, in that case, a, a medical diagnosis. And that's really the closest to what we mean when we talk about Christian hope. Because listen, the birth of Jesus means that as Christians, our hope is not some desperate wish. Hope for us is not a warped delusion or an unlikely aspiration. It's not an unfounded presumption. Christian hope is now a confident expectation. It's it's an assured certainty that's grounded in the work of Christ. It's grounded in the historical birth and life and death and resurrection and ultimately His return. That's why 1 Peter says... Yeah, we're still back there. Uh... According to His great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Amen? What a great name for a church. 
Born again to a living hope. How? How do we have a hope that's alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Our hope is through the resurrection of Christ, through His birth and life and death and resurrection. That's the basis. That's the grounding of our hope, a living hope inside of us. Think about this for a minute. Without Christmas, there would be no Easter, right? If Jesus had not been born, there would no be, be no resurrection. But it's also true that without Easter, there would be no Christmas. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would not now be celebrating the birth of Jesus. He would just be a long-forgotten rabbi who tried to start a movement and nothing happened. But he died as an atonement for sins. He rose from the dead bodily overcoming sin, death, and the devil, and filling us up now with hope. We have a certain assurance because of the historical work of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ had not been raised, then your faith is a waste. But Christ has been raised. Death has been conquered. And so we can have hope both in this life and for the life to come. This certain assurance that it's going to be okay. It may be hard. It may be difficult. It may, you may suffer. But we're in God's hands. Our future is secure, secure. God is at work. And whatever you're going through right now, hear this. There's a plan and a purpose. Whatever you're going through right now, hear this. Even in the darkest night, the sun will rise. And so this morning, as Kathy has driven down to Baltimore to the hospital to be with her brother who is literally dying... This morning, probably won't make it until sunrise tomorrow morning. But when you talk to Kathy, she's standing in faith. She's standing in hope. Why? Because she knows that Christ is her Savior. She knows that God has a plan. She knows that God is at work in her brother's heart. And she has that certain assurance grounded in Christ. Because she knows, what I hope you know this morning, that Christ doesn't shift or change. Amen? Even in darkness... God's love and His grace and His plan and His purpose stays the same. We've talked about, because the Scriptures talk about the coming of Christ like a sunrise, but we are like, you know, 21st century modern people. We know the sun doesn't actually rise. Right? The sun doesn't rise or fall. The sun stays in the same place all the time, always burning, always shining. What? It's the earth that rotates. Right? And so, the reason why you experience darkness is not because the sun is moved, why? Because the, the earth is rotating. And those long, dark nights, it's because the, the earth is still spinning. But you know, we know, we've lived on planet earth long enough to know, aside from some cosmic catastrophe, like the return of Jesus or something, that the earth is going to continue to spin, right? And the light will, will come again. And as, that, as the earth moves around and, and the sun touches the edge of the horizon, there's light again. And so when you find yourself in a place of darkness and hopelessness and despair, when you're discouraged and overwhelmed and frustrated and you feel like giving up and you feel like there is no hope and you think, God, where are you? He's in the exact same place that he always was. It's simply that you have turned, that you have rotated away from the Lord, that you've lost sight of his light and his grace. But know this, if you continue to turn, if you will rotate back to the Lord to fix your eyes and set your heart on him, the light is still there and the light will come and shine into your darkness. The only thing that's changed is us. And so we can have hope. Because hope is a certain assurance. It's not grounded in me, in you, in our feelings, in our circumstances. It's grounded in the work of Christ, and that doesn't change. Amen? Secondly, we see this morning that hope is an eager expectation. It's an eager expectation waiting for our full redemption. 
In Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about the sufferings of this world. The Bible does not pull any punches about how difficult the world is. And he says that the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when Christ returns, when we enter eternity. And, and Paul, in, in chapter 8 at the beginning, says, says even creation itself, figuratively, is groaning, is longing for the return of Jesus when all things are renewed, when heaven and earth are made new. And then he says this in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is, is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's look at that for a minute. Those who trust in Christ have the Spirit of God in them as we wait. In fact, we, we have this inward groaning that you may not always be aware of, but the Spirit of God in you is longing and groaning and looking ahead to the future. See, hope is, is a forward-oriented posture. And verse 24 says, We were saved in this hope, delivered from sin, delivered from death. We now are children of God, forgiven of our sins, loved, filled, empowered with God's Spirit, and called to live for Him. And we are not only saved into a new reality, but into a new hope for what will be ours in the future, either at our death or at the return of Christ. And, and so we now hope for something that's not yet fully realized. It's an expectation that we have not yet fully seen. Christian, this is not all you're going to get. This broken world, your, your struggles, your, your, your ongoing temptation, the brokenness of the, the relationships around you is, is not fully what Christ has for you. We haven't yet seen it. Verse 24 says, who hopes for what he sees? If you can already see it, then it no longer counts as hope, right? When you're a kid, you don't hope for a bike for Christmas when you already see the bike sitting under the tree. It's no longer hope. Now you know it's here. It's arrived. I now have it. You hope for a bike when, when you ask mom and dad for it and you're not sure whether or not they have the money or the desire or the opportunity to get it for you, right? And so here's our hope. Our hope is that we have asked our Heavenly Father for a bike. And He has said, yes, I'm going to give it to you. And, and we know, we've seen His bank account. We know He has the money for it. He's told us He's going to give it to us. He's, he's guaranteed it with His Word. In fact, He's shown us a picture of the bike that He already has picked out for us. In fact, check this out. The Heavenly Father has actually said, here's the seat, right? You don't get the full bike yet, but here's the seat. You know I have the money for it. I've told you I'm going to give it to you. I've showed you a picture, and now I'm giving you the seat. You can hold it, and you can carry it, and you can walk with it. And that's a certain hope for what you do not yet see fully, but what is already at work in your life. That is our hope of salvation. It's not a desperate wish. It's not an empty or baseless aspiration. It's grounded in the reality of Christ's work. And part of that reality, we read here in verse 24, is the Spirit's work in our lives. Verse 23 refers to people who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits is an agricultural term, right? It means on the first day of harvest, you go pick the grain or, or, or pick the, the, the fruit from the orchard or whatever it might be, and you have the beginning of the harvest, right? We have, we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the fullness of eternal life in God's kingdom is, is yet to come. And so the Spirit is already now at work in us. 
and we'll talk in a moment about some of the ways that the Spirit works in us, but that sense that you have of, of peace and direction and God's presence in your life is the bite seat. It's the beginning of, of, of what you hope for. And so now we continue to, to wait to hope for what we don't yet have. And verse 25 says we wait with patience. And so there's this eager expectation and this patience, right? Both of those things going on. If you get too eager, you're going to get impatient. If you're so patient that you're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe someday you lose your eagerness, right? That's why I don't like to start Christmas so far ahead of time. Four weeks is too much for me, right? Right? Craig, what do we always say? You can't peak too early, right? If I start out, like Advent four weeks ago, I'm now impatient. Like Christmas should be tomorrow. I don't want to wait another week, right? I've been eager for the last three weeks. That's as long as I can handle Okay, but the Christian life is is to be eager for what is not yet yours and don't be discontent and settle for what you have, but yet also be patient and trust the Lord's timing. Hope recognizes that, that all is not yet as it should be. We don't yet have the fullness of what we long for. And so there is grief and there is still pain and there is still struggle. And we do still wait for the resolution and wait for the final outcome, but we wait with patience. So scripture says that we walk by faith, not by sight, because we don't yet fully see all that God has for us. But there's an eager expectation as we're waiting for our full redemption. When we see God face to face, when his love and his grace and our status as his children, when our identity is, is in fullness, when we stand face to face before God. And so we stand in faith and in hope, patiently waiting. Now, now before we move on, I want to clarify the relationship between faith and, and hope, because this came up for me, and maybe it's come up for you. So, so Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And you're like, that sounds a little bit like our definition of hope, right? So, so are, are, do we have faith that, that God is at work? Are we hoping that God will, will do what is not yet fully realized? How do these concepts relate? Well, first of all, they're, they're similar concepts, okay? And sometimes they're, they're overlapping. Sometimes they're even interchangeable. But here's what I would say. Hope expects what faith has already believed, okay? And, and let me just let John Calvin define this for you because his words are better than my own. Calvin says, Faith is a firm persuasion of the truth of God. Hope is nothing more than the expectation of of those things which faith previously believed to have been promised by God. Thus faith believes that God is true. Hope expects that in due season He will manifest His truth. Faith believes that He is our Father. Hope expects that He will always act the part of a Father toward us. Faith believes that eternal life has been given to us. Hope expects that it will one day be revealed. Faith is the foundation on which hope rests. Hope nourishes and sustains faith. Through faith, we can now have hope. This certain assurance that's grounded in the work of Christ. This eager expectation as we wait for our full redemption. And thirdly, I want you to see this morning that hope is an active trust. It's an active trust that's deepened through our hardship. Again, we look at the book of Romans, the end of chapter 4 ends with this statement that Jesus Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised up to life for our justification. 
And then chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, that means declared right before God, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Somebody say amen. Amen. We have peace with God. We have peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked last week about the gift of peace, about the reality that we no longer stand distant from God, cut off from God, aliens, enemies. We now have been brought close with our Creator. He calls us son. He calls us daughter. There is harmony and peace between us and God. And now through faith in Christ, we have access. We have access into this grace, verse 2 says, the grace by which we stand. We, we, you, you now have, through faith in Christ, an all-access pass. You go behind the stage, go see, pull the curtain back. You have an all-access pass into God's grace, God's favor, the gift of God's love. And by that grace, we now stand. I, I love that. It's by His grace, access to the grace in which we stand. We can now stand before God. No longer cowering, no longer running, no longer guilty or, or questioning or doubting or uncertain if we're acceptable. We, we stand before God confident in His grace and we can now stand before the world. As we talked about when we talked about God's love, if you're certain of your identity before God, you can be confident before the world. Standing is a, is a significant posture. You ever seen a kid get sad? You ever seen the kid get discouraged or lose hope? I saw this last night with a few of the kids at the rehearsal. They, they just couldn't do it. <laughs> they just didn't think they could do it. And what do they do? They fall on the floor, right? They fall at mommy's feet and they cry and they whimper, I don't want to go up there, right? People that are weary, that are weak, who are, feel like they're undeserving, who are struggling to find hope, they lay on the floor. But standing is a sign of confidence. Standing is a sign of strength and hope. And we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand because we have the abundant, lavish grace of God. And so verse 2 says, because we are now standing in this grace, we're going to be people that are rejoice. Rejoice with a sense of hope. We'll talk next week about the gift of joy. We stand in joy because we have hope in the glory of God. Our ultimate hope is our expectation, in fact, our assurance that the glory of God will be revealed in our lives and in His world. That the glory of God, when the Bible talks about glory, it's often associated with, with light and with brightness. The glory of God is the, the fullness of who He is, His honor, everything about God that makes Him praiseworthy, His goodness and justice and power and love. The glory of God will be revealed, and so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. A certain expectation. You say, well, I don't, I don't yet see the full glory of God. I, I know. But one day, through the work of Christ, you will stand before God and you will be glorified. You will actually shine with the brightness of, of God in His presence. And the entire world, heaven and earth, will be remade and renewed and redeemed according to God's great purposes. 
And this is our certain grounded hope. And so we rejoice and we celebrate. Not only that, not only we rejoice in our hope that the glory of God will come, but verses 3 and 4 say that we also rejoice in our suffering. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. It, it actually doesn't make any sense unless you've experienced it, unless you've walked through it. How could you possibly rejoice when you're suffering or hurting? Well, this passage tells us, first of all, because suffering produces endurance. When you face a hardship, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to give up or you're going to push through and overcome. If, if that suffering works out in your life endurance, then you can persist in faith. You can persevere in obedience. You can stand by the power of the Holy Spirit in an unwavering trust amidst your own temptation. The, the sickness of a loved one, the brokenness in your home, financial strain, mental health, physical health. You can actually stand in an unwavering trust. Listen, you cannot build endurance sitting on the couch, figuratively or literally. You have to get up. You have to go out. You have to tackle something hard. You have to be stretched, right? An endurance athlete has to get ready for a race. His lungs have to expand. His heart has to throb. His muscles literally have to tear. Because times of pain and affliction, they build our stamina. They increase our faith. They grow our perseverance. We rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. See, enduring through, through something difficult or painful, it builds character. It, it proves, the Bible says there, it proves your character. C character here means the strength of Christian integrity. So you can have a beautiful glass jar, set it up on your mantle and look at it, but if you push on it and that glass jar has no integrity, it's going to break. But a strong jar will prove its stability. It'll prove its strength as it endures through pressure that's put upon it. So endurance produces character and character produces hope. It produces hope because, because hope is the expectation that God is at work in your life. Hope is the expectation that God is going to have victory. And if every time you endure through a hardship, if every time your character is built, you look to God and you trust God, then, then, then what is happening is that, is that you are confirmed that God's worked here and here and here. And now I'm facing this, and I actually don't see Him at work, and I'm discouraged and frustrated, and I've been crying a lot, but I now know through my endurance, through my character, that there is hope. Because I've seen Him do it time and time again. And not every time has it worked out the way that I wanted, but yet I saw God. And every time you face hardship or endurance or, or difficulty, endurance is built up, and you trust in God. And you know what you say? You say, I know who God is. I know my circumstances. I know how I'm struggling. I know how I'm hurting. I know how I want to give up. I know how I want to turn to the pleasures of this world and numb myself. But I also know who God is because I've seen Him at work time and time again. And I firmly expect Him to continue to work in my life. He has shown Himself to be faithful, and so I have hope. Hope is an active trust. It's an active trust deepened through hardship. Like my friend that I reached out to last week and he told me a couple weeks ago how, how he's going through some really, really difficult tension and conflict with a family member. And it's been overwhelming to him and stirring up all this childhood pain. And so I reached out to him to ask him how he was doing. 
And he said, well, on top of that, we now have another family member that's in the hospital with some serious health issues. And on top of that, I just found out that another close family member has just gotten a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Now, now that's enough to make anybody in this room throw their hands up and say, forget it. Like, you have a two-week period like that, forget it, God. You must have forgotten us, and my life is hopeless. But you know what he said to me? He said, my wife and I have been doing a lot of crying and praying. Because just because we're people of hope doesn't mean that it still hurts. Just because we're set on waiting for what we do not yet have doesn't mean that, that missing what we have doesn't still bring tears. He said, my wife and I have been doing a lot of crying and praying. He said, but ultimately our hope is in the Lord. Now, I want to tell you, for those of you that are here this morning that, that are maybe skeptical, that have not ever walked out or lived out faith, for those of you that have friends and family members that, that have not given themselves to Christ, a statement like that seems baseless, it seems foolish. What, what, what do you mean our hope is in the Lord? Your life's a wreck right now. Is that an empty claim? No. Why? Why? Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And that works itself out. It's this active trust. And again, hope doesn't mean there isn't suffering, but hope means that in the midst of it, there's a certain assurance. There's this eager expectation. There's this confident trust that God is still at work, that His ways are beyond our ways, that His plan often takes longer, often it's harder. But He is at work. He's making you holy. He's growing you into the image of Christ. He's glorifying Himself. He's drawing His sons and daughters to Himself. And verse 5 said, this hope that we have doesn't put us to shame. That means it's not going to lead you to disappointment. Why? What does verse 5 say? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Your Creator loves you. And His grace and His kindness and His favor through Christ and through your faith, have been poured directly into your heart, into the core of who you are, the love of the Lord. He has given Himself to you. And this is our assurance that our hope is well-grounded. We have the love of God. And so we know He's not going to forget us. He's not going to turn His back on us. How does God pour His love into our hearts? Again, we see the crucial role of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, verse 5 says... The Spirit's presence in your life is the presence of God. It's the love of God manifest in your heart. And so through the Spirit's work in you, your hope is strengthened. And every time you are convicted of sin and you're like, God, can't you just leave me alone? I'm kind of happy. And he says, no, I convict you. But I also assure you of your forgiveness. That's the Spirit's work. Every time you read the Word of God and, and you're enlightened and there's insight in a practical, specific, powerful way directly, the Word of God speaking to you, that's the Spirit of God who has been given to you. And when you seek direction and guidance from the Lord, when you have peace and stability in your heart in the midst of chaos and confusion, when, when the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are working in your life and you see yourself being used in the lives of other people and you're like, I'm barely holding it together. How is God possibly using me in the life of my spouse and my children and the people in my small group? That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit's presence in your life. When you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, when you see those things at work in you and through you to bless other people, that's the Holy Spirit. When you are growing as a disciple of Jesus and maturing as a son or daughter, when you are being formed into the image of God, that is the active demonstration of God's love being poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And that work 
And that presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is evidence. Listen, Christian, it is evidence that God's love is real and it's manifested in your life. And through his work, our hope is now established. And so now our hope will not disappoint because God has already shown himself. He's already proven himself. Amen? You guys want to worship? You guys want to sing? You guys want to give thanks to God? As we close out this morning, worship team, come lead us again in this season of Advent. Friends, this is a season of waiting, but we wait as people of hope. Because why? We now have this certain expectation, this certain assurance grounded in the work of Christ. And it's, it's a certainty. And if you don't have that certainty this morning, pray and say, God, affirm my faith and build my hope. Hope is an eager expectation, waiting for full redemption. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't really care anymore, I'm just numb, and I just want to get through today until tomorrow. And you need some of that eagerness. So you say, God, fill me with faith. Fill me with a discontentment for what is not yet fully realized in the glory of God, that I might eagerly anticipate. Yes, waiting patiently, but eagerly. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't have an act of trust. Hope is an act of trust deepened through hardship. But my hardship is so overwhelming that my trust is wavering. And maybe it's passive, but it's certainly not active. Pray this morning as we worship together. Let's stand this morning and sing and pray and worship. And like watchmen, as we see in Psalm 130, like watchmen, let's, let's be on the lookout for the sun. Let's be on the lookout for the glory of God. Let's be on the lookout for the, for the resurrection of Jesus at work. And so we proclaim together, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. Amen. Let's worship together.